This, uh, this summer we've been looking at the parables, or a handful of them anyway, learning about life and the kingdom of God, the shape and contours of God's way and God's will, and what that means for us. Uh, our scripture text today comes from Matthew 20. It is the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which I felt was fitting uh, for Labor Day this year. As God speak to us, I invite you to lift up your hearts to hear from, from him this morning. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and still found others standing around. And he asked them, Why, have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, how does this parable hit you? Is the kingdom of God a place that you'd like to work? A while ago, I found myself at a long line, the security line at Pearson Airport, waiting to make it through. Not exactly my favorite spot to be. I hate lines, but I had arrived early that day and I had my passport in hand and my boarding pass in the other. I was ready. I knew I wouldn't miss my flight, but still I was looking forward to having a coffee on the other side. As I was waiting, a man scrambled up to the guard at the entrance of the line. He looked like he had just rolled out of bed. Uh, his bags were falling off his arms. Please, he said, I'm late for my flight. The officer checked his boarding pass and then opened a special door to let this man through to the front of the line. 
jerk, I thought to myself. The rest of us have done our due diligence here, and you show up late, and you get special treatment. Makes you wonder sometimes if playing by the rules counts for anything anymore. I imagine the early bird workers in the vineyard were pondering the same thing as they watched the Johnny-come-latelys pocket their shiny denarius. These lazy bums work for one hour, and they get the same pay as us, who slaved all day under the hot sun. It's not right. Sensing their dissension, the farmer approaches them. Friends, he says to them, I have been fair to you. I paid you exactly what I promised. What's it to you, what I do with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Most of us have heard this statement before, this truism of the kingdom of God, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And most of us kind of like how it sounds. We like when Jesus flips the world on its head. We like it when he topples the pecking order and puts the prideful in their place. But I'm guessing that this principle would sound way less attractive after a long day of picking grapes. I'm no business owner, but God's way of doing business here doesn't sound like a recipe for developing healthy, productive workplace culture. Imagine what would happen to your workplace if it became known that the part-time new hires received the same compensation as the, the full-time 20-year veteran. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. It sounds like a good principle in the abstract, but not so good after a long day of grating potatoes. What's going on here? What provocative point is Jesus making by telling this parable? I think it's important and helpful to interpret this parable within the broader context of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is in the middle of a series of lessons on the kingdom of God. He's teaching his disciples that God's rule over God's realm, it's not exactly what they think it will be. It's not exactly what they think it is. In Matthew 19, Jesus says that the kingdom of God cannot be bought or earned. Wealthy, moral people, like the rich young ruler, they seem like a shoe-in. But in reality, says Jesus, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, rather, in contrast, belongs to the little children. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says, for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And then after this parable, Jesus shares the troubling news that he, the king of God's kingdom, that he's going to have to suffer and die. The disciples don't like this. They want Jesus to be successful. They want Jesus to be the greatest, the first. And they want this because they want to be given cabinet positions in his government when it is established. But Jesus knows that before he can rule from the right hand of God, he must first go down into the depths, suffer, and die. 
it's only in becoming last that he will be made first. And then right after Jesus shares this, um, shares why it is necessary for him to suffer and die, there is this funny interaction between him and the mother of James and John. This mother has a high view of her strapping young sons, and so she lobbies Jesus. She says, Do me a favor, Jesus. Allow James and John to sit at your right and left hand in your kingdom. Give them top positions in your government when you establish it. Uh, when the other disciples hear this request, they are indignant. They are upset. And they are upset because each one of them was lobbying and was working to be the one that would sit on Jesus' right and Jesus' left. And they all thought that if they had sacrificed enough and had followed Jesus long enough, that they would be rewarded handsomely, or at least more than others, for their long hours of labor in the Lord's vineyard. And isn't that how things are supposed to work? The one who works the most overtime gets the most pay. The one who brings the most value to the company gets the promotion. Jesus, I've left the most behind to be one of your disciples. Jesus, I left my dad in the boat holding the net to be one of your disciples. Jesus, I've been with you the longest. Jesus, I've given the most amount of money to your mission. Without me, there would be no ministry. What am I going to get in return? What are you going to give me? What position of authority in your government? It's in the midst of this race to the top that Jesus tells this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And guess what? The workers who worked the whole day received the same as the workers who only worked for one hour. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For disciples then and disciples today, this parable offers an important corrective. It forces us to step back and examine our motivations, our expectations. It reminds us that God is God and that he will pour out his blessings as he sees fit. And here's a question. What happens to the community of faith when the individuals within that community start to keep score and start to keep track of the blessings that God is giving to the other people within the community? Such an attitude gives birth to bitterness to envy, to, to divisions within disciples, unhealthy competition. This attitude is the elder brother's problem in the parable of the prodigal son. You see, he's been keeping score. All those years that his brother was out partying, he was working hard on his father's estate. And then one day that good-for-nothing younger brother comes home. He deserves a slap in the face, thinks the older brother. He deserves to be treated like the least of his father's servants, working for little to no pay for a long time. That would be fair. But what does the younger brother get instead? He gets the father's ring, 
put on his finger. He gets the father's robe placed on his back. He gets the fattened calf and the party. He gets restored as a son, as if he has never sinned nor been a sinner. This display of generosity is too much for the older brother to bear, and he will not join the party, and he seethes in the background. Are you envious because I am generous? The landowners ask the worker. The landowner asks the workers, Can I not give and pour out my blessings as I see fit? What's it like for you when I choose to bless others and give them more than they deserve? What's it like for you that I gave that person over there a really good spouse? What's it like for you that I gave that person over there, who's really not that smart and didn't work that hard in school, I gave him a really good job? What's it like for you to see me give this person forgiveness? They who don't deserve it. Out west, I got to know some church planters who were working hard to see revival in the city of Victoria. Some of them had been slaving away in the fields of the Lord for over a decade. And their churches, some of them, never got bigger than a handful of people. And then one day a new church planter came to town, joined up with a big church, and within a few months he had a couple hundred people attending his services. What's that like for the other workers in the vineyard? What's it like for you that your church languishes and his church grows? Are you envious because because I am generous? On the one hand, it's easy to relate to the disgruntled laborers who have worked all day in the vineyard. I know you all to be a hard-working crowd. We feel their frustration. But if you think about it, from a Christian perspective, as disciples serving the Lord, why should the disciple who has served Jesus his or her whole life be so upset when someone else joins midway through the day and gets the same reward or even a greater reward? Shouldn't this disciple simply be joyful that the Lord's vineyard has another worker? Doesn't many hands make for light work? Doesn't more money at the end of the day make for a better party? Shouldn't this disciple simply be joyful to have more companions? And doesn't the pouring out of God's grace on the undeserving showcase his goodness and increase his fame? And isn't that, at the end of the day, what we're all working for? God's generosity is a cause for concern for those who are keeping score. But for those who have eyes, their eyes on the Lord and who see and are working for the glory of his vineyard, then the more people, the more blessings, the merrier. And isn't it true what the psalmist says? Better is one day in your courts 
than a thousand elsewhere. Why, I'd ra rather be a regular hand working in the fields of the Lord than spend one day making millions in some other field. In 2012, the CRC's magazine, The Banner, published an article, uh, and I just loved this article. It told the story of Gary Groot. Gary was in his ninth decade of life when he came to submit his life to Jesus Christ. At age 91, he was baptized in San Marcos Christian Reformed Church, and he began his service in the Lord's Vineyard. For 91 years, Gary didn't tithe. For 91 years, he didn't have to suffer through a single term on a church committee. For 91 years, Gary lazed about in the marketplace and did not lift a finger in the Lord's vineyard. And then at the 11th hour, Jesus found Gary and invited him to join the harvest. It's doubtful that Gary was of much use to the work crew of disciples at San Marcos Christian Reformed Church. It's not easy to pick grapes at age 91. And yet, he received the full reward of membership in the kingdom of God. His sins were forgiven through Jesus' poured out blood shed on the cross. And he was made righteous as if he has never, had never sinned nor been a sinner. And when his hour of work in God's fields was complete, he became a recipient of the same inheritance that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is it fair? No, but it is grace. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Can we rejoice when God shows someone else generosity? Can we be content the work, the field he has for us, and the time he has for us, accepting that others may be blessed in ways that we won't be? Are we okay with God being God and delivering grace as he sees fit? Accepting our portion is not always easy. But remember the amazing grace of God came to you too when he called you to come and work in his fields. And is there a better place to be than that? Remember the ones who try to work their way up the ladder. They will be disappointed last. The ones who quietly serve the Lord with contentment, they will be first in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we are reminded this day of your gracious call and of our own uniqueness and the journey that you have for each of us. Some of us you have called at the first hour and we came. Others you've called at the sixth hour, and we've come. And still others you've called at the last hour, and they have come too. 
We pray, Lord, that you would clear away any envy or discontentment we have with our place in your mission and call, our work in your vineyard, the vineyard of your kingdom. Give us open eyes and to see just the blessing of other people and the, the good things that they can give and offer with the time that you've given them. Help us to unite arms and hands and work together for the glory of your name and the good of your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to surprise us with your generosity and that you allow us to be joyful when that comes, in whatever shape it does. Thank you for this corrective, Lord, this teaching. And we pray that it would sink down into us and become part of us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.